Well, let us again read from God's word, uh, turning now, uh, first of all, to the Old Testament, to the prophecy of Malachi and chapter 3. We're going to read again from 2 Corinthians. But first of all, Malachi chapter 3, page 970 in the Church Bible, reading from verse 6 of chapter 3. The subtitle given by the editors of the uh, ESV here is Robbing God, uh, and that is the title of our subject this evening, Robbing God. So let's read first of all from verse 6 of Malachi 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then we turn forwards to the New Testament, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to read uh, from verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. It's page 1165 in the Church Bible. We could really have read all of chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians because they're so relevant uh, to our subject this evening. And I'm going to be quoting from several uh, parts of these two chapters, but let's read uh, from verse 6 now of Second Corinthians 9. Paul writes, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're continuing in our studies in the Ten Commandments this evening, and today we've been looking together at commandment number eight, recorded in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. And this morning we were thinking about a number of different ways in which, as Christians, we might be guilty of stealing. But I left out one very serious way, the most serious, the worst kind of theft of all. And it's a kind of theft that many Christians commit every single week. Christians who would never, ever dream of going into a shop and shoplifting or breaking into a home and burgling it, Christians who would never, ever cheat on their income tax. They would never contemplate uh, keeping something that didn't belong to them. They would never think of stealing anything from another person. And yet every week, they may be casually stealing from God. And that's what we want to think about this evening. Stealing from God. Because Christian work is being held up in every place because of a lack of resources. The task of evangelism, the task of mercy ministry, which have been committed to the church, is expensive. There are few churches and few missionary organizations that say that they don't need any more money. And yet, if every Christian gave in proportion to his or her income regularly and generously, then the church and all missionary societies would have absolutely no money problems whatsoever. To keep pastors in poverty 
which, by the way, is something I know nothing about. I'm not including myself uh, in that category. Uh, to keep pastors in poverty, uh, to keep missionaries badly equipped on the mission field, to cut back on good and necessary work in the church is to rob God. It is to break the Eighth Commandment. Uh, in 1997, a study showed that Christians in the UK gave £1.8 billion pounds each year to the work of the church. And that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. And yet, it was only 2% of their income. And I tried to get a more up-to-date figure uh, I don't know what that figure is, but the percentage of income, it seems, I, I was able to find that out, and it seems that the percentage of income that Christians give to Christian work is still hovering in and around the 2% mark. And the Reformed Presbyterian Church is no exception. are struggling as a denomination because of a lack of resources And that's not because we are a small denomination. If every member of the Reformed Presbyterian Church was giving in proportion to their income, then none of our congregations, I think, would have any trouble meeting the targets that are set by the Synod for carrying out the work and witness of the church. But as it is, our mission budget is tight, and restricted so that even if people were to offer themselves for mission work, there is a big question mark over whether the church could afford to take them on or not. We pray for more men for the ministry. We have seven vacant congregations at the moment, and we're praying that God will send ministers to fill those pulpits. And yet we heard in this very room at Synod a few weeks ago from the Congregational Aid Fund, that if those seven vacancies were filled, there simply isn't enough money to pay the salaries of those ministers. Uh, The minimum salaries, which uh, are, are not exorbitant by any stretch of the imagination. We want to see new works being developed in the Republic of Ireland. We were reminded of that uh, in the meetings uh, to do with Vincent's call to Limerick, uh, that vision of the Irish section to see uh, a, a congregation, an RP congregation, in each of the 32 counties of Ireland by 2032. But at the present level of giving, hard to imagine how that could happen, even if God were to give us the men for that work. Could the work of our denomination be stunted because some or even many of our members are stealing from God? I suspect that a good number of our members are extremely generous and they bear the, they bear the burden of paying for the church's ministry. But I suspect that there are others who are simply not faithful in this area. How much more work could we do instead of just keeping things ticking over, maintaining the status quo? How much more could we do 
if God were to move the heart of every single member of our denomination to give generously, to give abundantly to the work of the church. It is tremendously encouraging to see the givings of our own congregation. I think Trinity is something of an anomaly uh, in, in this regard and perhaps in preaching to the converted here this evening. But this is always something that we need to be reminded of. Uh, and there's always that temptation to cut back. Things are tight financially, as they have been uh, over this last year in particular. If something has to go, the temptation is, the pressure is that we will give up giving to the church first. And then, of course, we're surrounded by all kinds of attractive advertising, uh, suggesting, uh, pleading uh, for hundreds and hundreds of different ways for, for in which we could spend our money that uh, are more attractive, perhaps, than giving to the church. It's a temptation, too, because as we thought earlier when we were singing Psalm 139, our giving to God is completely secret. Nobody knows what you give apart from God. Nobody will know whether you are giving or not other than God. It's not that the elders and the deacons have a list of all the names and all the amounts and we match it up and and, and survey each year and review to see uh, how much people are giving. Nobody's ever going to know how much you give. And the temptation is that we skimp on secret duties. Most of us are not power of God's Holy Spirit. By the grace of God, we can overcome that native selfishness that's in us. But it is something that we need to fight. And so it's good for us to think about these things uh, from time to time. Um, This is not something that we talk about often at all. Uh, in Trinity, it's uh, this is not one of those churches that we say for the benefit of visitors where we're preaching about money and asking for money every single week. Uh, this may well be the first time that I've preached on this subject uh, since coming to Trinity as the minister 11 years ago. And I'm only preaching on it now because of this study in the Ten Commandments. So uh, let's ask uh, some questions, uh, two questions really. Uh, about this subject. First of all, why should Christians give? Why should Christians give? Uh, let me suggest three reasons. First of all, we should give because it is a biblical duty. It is a biblical duty. God commands his people to give offerings to support the work of the church. That's clear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And this would be reason enough. We don't need any other reasons. The fact that God tells us to do it is enough. But of course, as we'll see, uh, there are other reasons, other incentives as well. The Old Testament teaches the practice of tithing. The word tithe is just an old English word that means tenth. And the Israelites were commanded in the Old Testament to give the Lord a tenth, a tithe of their income. Leviticus 27, 
30 and 32. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. And these tithes paid for the running of the worship services of the tabernacle and then later on the temple. Uh, Numbers 18 verse 21. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work that they do while serving at the tent of meeting. So a tenth, a tithe of all their income paid for the worship services. But this tenth, uh, it turns out in the Old Testament, was just the basic minimum because there were all kinds of other offerings that were commanded as well that were to be given at different times. There was a kind of a, I suppose we would call it a poll tax that was paid at the time of a national census. There were special sacrifices that were to be given, special gifts. The first fruits of the harvest were brought at Pentecost. There was the money that was to be paid to redeem a firstborn son. There were the free will offerings that were to be given. All of these things, which I remember reading somewhere, uh, they estimated amounted to about 30%, in fact, of someone's income. All of these things were to be to the Lord on top of the tithe, in addition to the 10%. And this income was God's money. That's how the Lord describes it. It wasn't the people's money. They weren't to think of it as theirs. It was the Lord's money. And to withhold any of that money was to steal from God. Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Tithes, the 10%, the offerings, all those additional things that were to be given as well. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that people and the witness of the church by giving a proportion of their income. And this principle is restated very clearly in the New Testament in many places. Uh, So, for example, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So preachers, pastors, are to be paid, they're to be supported by the church to enable them to carry out this work full time. And then money was collected regularly for the compassionate mercy ministry to the poor and the vulnerable, the diaconal ministry of the church. Now it's often pointed out that there was no precise percentage given in the New Testament. And that's true. The New Testament doesn't really talk about tithing. But of course, if Old Testament believers could give a tenth, 
then it stands to reason, doesn't it, that New Testament believers should give at least a tenth, especially if Old Testament believers in practice ended up giving a fair bit more than a tenth. Our giving is an expression of our gratitude to God for his goodness. And in the New Testament, we know so much more about the Lord's goodness because we have seen it so much more clearly and fully in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we should delight to give all the more to the Lord's work. So why should Christians give? We should give because it's a biblical duty. God commands it. And if we don't do it, then we are sinning. We're disobeying God. We are robbing God. But a second reason why we should give privilege. It is a privilege, but it is also a privilege. I don't think we think as much as we should about giving to the Lord's work as a privilege. Uh, At least I'm just speaking for myself. Maybe you all do. Uh, And nothing brings you greater joy each week than writing your check or putting through the transfer or however it is nowadays that you uh, pay your, your free will offering. Do you think of it as a privilege? Do you thank God that you are allowed to give that money to the work of the church? It's not a chore that is to be done grudgingly. It's not something that we should ever resent because God is graciously allowing us to be involved. He condescends to use you and me and our little paltry givings to accomplish his glorious purposes. A little bit like a small boy helping his father fix the engine of the car. Um, Drew doesn't really need Andrew or Alec uh, passing him the son. Well, maybe he does at the minute, actually. But under normal circumstances, he doesn't really need his son to pass the socket spanner and the oil can. He can do it perfectly well himself. In fact, it would be easier for him to do it himself. But he graciously involves his son so that he feels useful. And it's good for the son to do that. And we've all done that uh, as parents with our children. And the kingdom, the work of the kingdom is like that, isn't it? God owns everything that exists. We sang of that in Psalm 24. The earth and all that it contains, the sea and everything that's in it, it's all his. He owns it because he made it all. He doesn't need our few pounds and pence. But he tells us to give them for our sake because it's good for us, because it's a privilege for us to be involved. It's it's a privilege to give some of that money that the Lord has given us in the first place to the work of God. Of course, he doesn't need our money. But what an honor it is to be asked for it. I wonder how often we're conscious of that as we put our collection 
uh, into the bag as it's passed around on the Sabbath morning? Or do we do it reluctantly? Do we do it grudgingly and half-heartedly? Why should we give? We should give because it's a biblical duty. We should give because it's a privilege. And we should give, thirdly, because it brings blessing. We should give to the Lord because it brings blessing. That is a spiritual law in the Christian life. The more we give to God, the more we receive. Now, now, not necessarily financially. That's the mistake that's made, isn't it, by the health and wealth heresy. Uh, uh, the more money you give, well, the more money God will give back to you. No, it doesn't work like that. But it is true that the more we give to God of whatever, the more blessing we will receive from him. First Samuel 2, verse 30. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. Or Luke 6.38, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God is no one's debtor. And when we give generously, as he has commanded us to give, we will receive far, far more in return. Malachi 3, again, verse 10, God says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And over and over again, Christians have proved this promise to be true. God gives more to those who give generously. He doesn't give as a kind of reward. He gives because they have proved that they can be trusted to steward resources unselfishly. And so very often God does give more money to those who have proved themselves faithful with a few things because he knows that they will give more money away for the sake of the kingdom. John Piper writes very, very well on this whole subject of giving and the use of money in the kingdom of God. Uh, he says, God does not prosper a man's business so that a man can move from a Ford to a Ferrari. God prospers a business so that hundreds of unreached peoples can be reached with the gospel, so that 20% of the world's population can move a step back from the precipice of salvation. If you are faithful with a few things, if you give generously out of the, the money that the Lord has entrusted to you uh, to be a steward of, well, then very often he will give you more money so that you will give more money away. Piper says, you will have to make clear to the business people in your congregation 
that you're not against multi-million dollar industries. Not sure that we have any multi-million dollar industries here in Trinity. Nor are you necessarily against their six-digit salaries. Not sure if we have any six-digit salaries either. But he says the problem arises when they endorse the professional status quo, and this is brilliant, that says that a six-digit salary should have a six-digit lifestyle. I, I love that quotation. That is very, very helpful. Nothing wrong at all with you having a six-digit salary. If God has given you that, that is wonderful. But it's not so that you can have a six-digit lifestyle, which is what the world says you're entitled to. No, perhaps it means you should have a $40,000 lifestyle and support two families on a new mission field. But the blessing may not be in financial or material terms. Often it is. Often when people prove that they're trustworthy with money, God will give them more money so that they can steward it and give more money away. But the blessing may not be in financial terms. We grow in grace when we faithfully and generously give to the Lord's work. Because it shows that we're depending on him, doesn't it? That we're not putting our trust in our wealth. It shows that we're getting our priorities in the right order, that we don't love money. It increases our faith. It's a safeguard against materialism. If you, feel, if you ever feel that you're in danger of loving money, that you're getting too attached to things, well, then one of the best antidotes to that is to give more money away. There are all kinds of blessings you should give it's a biblical duty, it is a privilege, and it brings great blessing. And then the second question, the last question that I want us to think about, how should Christians give? How should Christians give? First of all, we are to give generously. We are to give generously. The New Testament may not lay down an amount or a percentage but listen to just some of the adverbs that are used to describe our giving. Sacrificially, proportionately, abundantly, generously. Second Corinthians 8 verse 7, Paul says to the Corinthians, Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Here are these Christians, and they seem to have it all. They are gifted, uh, they are knowledgeable, they are articulate, uh, they are passionate about the gospel. Paul says, you excel in everything. But make sure that you also excel. And, and the verb is significant, isn't it? Excel. Outdo others in this grace of giving. That's the attitude that we're to have. We are to give generously. And so the Christian that asks the question, well, what is, what's the bare minimum? What's, give me a figure. What's, what's, the, what's the minimum? What, what, what do I have to give? 
You tell me that the least amount that I have to give, and okay, I'll pay it. A Christian that talks like that shows that there's something wrong with their heart, because the question is not, what is the least that I have to give? The question that we should be asking is, how much can I give? How can I give more? What can I do without? What can we sacrifice as a family so that we can take that money that we would have spent on that treat or that luxury and instead we can give it to the work of the church? A healthy Christian is always on the lookout for opportunities to give more. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 to 4. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Here are people and they were in extreme poverty. They, they couldn't afford to give. They didn't have anything to give. And yet it, it welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, Paul says, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. When was the last time that you gave beyond your ability? When was the last time you gave as much as you're able? Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. When was the last time you pleaded with a committee of the church or with our treasurer for the privilege of giving more money? The Pharisees were meticulous about tithing everything. They were obsessed with tithing. They loved tithing. They tithed every last herb in their garden. That's literally what they did. Jesus says, you, till, you, you tithe the dill and the mint and the cumin. They gave their tenth, but they made absolutely sure that they did not go beyond that. Not one single gram. They got the little pair of scissors out and they measured it out and they cut off the tenth. And that's what they gave. God wants a tenth, right? Let's give him his tenth. They kept the letter of the law, but they didn't keep the spirit of the law. And Christians can be exactly the same, can't we? Do I have to tithe my gross income or will my net income do? What about gifts? Do I have to tithe the gifts? Somebody gives me a present, do I have to tithe that? What about legacies? What about bonuses? Does God expect me to tithe my, my annual bonus? That's not the spirit of generosity, is it? That's trying to make sure that you don't give one penny more than you absolutely have to. That's not the language of the New Testament. The language of the New Testament is expansive and generous and open-handed. And the reason for that, of course, is because it's a response. It's our response to the Lord's giving to us in salvation. He is the giving God. That's how he's described by James. He, he gave us his own son. He is anything but stingy. Are we really going to quibble over a few pounds and pence? 
2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Let me give you a couple more quotes from Piper. He says, the evidence that many of our people are not rich towards God is how little they give and how much they own. You want to know if you're rich towards God? Here's the test. How much do you own and how much are you giving? He goes on. Very few of our people have said to themselves, we will live at a level of joyful wartime simplicity and use the rest of what we earn to alleviate misery. He's using the, the, the illustration of uh, the war, uh, the kind of blitz spirit. During the war, people lived at a level of joyful wartime simplicity. They were prepared to endure uh, any deprivation, to put up with anything. Uh, and the way that they uh, coped was they said, well, there's a war on. What do you expect? This isn't a time to be living in luxury. And Piper says there's a war on, a spiritual war that we're involved in. This is not the time to be kitting out our homes with every last luxury. Let's live at a level of joyful wartime simplicity and use the rest of what we earn to alleviate misery and to promote the gospel. And I should say, uh, I have it on good authority from actually the uh, publisher of, of the book in which this chapter comes by John Piper, that Piper it, practices what he preaches. Uh, he is a man who no doubt earns a great deal of money. Uh, he is very well known throughout the Christian world. Uh, and yet he lives in a, at a level of joyful wartime simplicity. Uh, his suits apparently are bought secondhand. Uh, his home is very basic. Uh, he may get a lot of money, but it certainly seems as though he practices what he preaches and he gives away a great deal of money. He says, and I quoted this verse this morning in Ephesians 4:28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so he says there are three levels of how to live with things. Number one, you can steal to get. Number two, you can work to get. Or three, you can work to get in order to give. And he says many of us live on level two. We work to get. Almost all the forces of our culture urge us to live on level two. But the Bible is unrelenting in pushing us to level three. You work to get in order to give. So how should Christians give? We should give generously. Secondly, we should give cheerfully. We should give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
wonder, would you describe yourself as a cheerful giver? That you look forward to being able to give, not just your weekly tithes and offerings, but other opportunities to give to the work of the kingdom, maybe to a a missionary uh, or to someone in the congregation where you know there's a special need. And so you you give an extra over and above your tithes and offerings. Is, Is that something that you cheerfully do? If a gift has to be dragged reluctantly and grudgingly from someone, it's not really very much of a gift. If a wife has to keep on reminding her husband to get her birthday present, then actually it devalues the gift when it eventually comes. It's it's actually an insult if it has to be dragged reluctantly. And far too many Christians resent having to give anything. They dislike intensely having to part with any money at all. Never mind the idea of increasing their giving. They even delude themselves into thinking that God is impressed, that God is flattered by the few pounds and pence that they throw into the offering plate. Far from it. God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want money that has to be wrung out of the the, the miserly grip uh, of unwilling hands. We're to give generously. We're to give cheerfully. We're to give regularly. We all plan our finances differently. Some people budget on a weekly basis, others monthly, others quarterly. But however we give, we must ensure that we give regularly. That's the biblical pattern. The church's work continues steadily throughout the year. Uh, Not just the work of our congregation, there are always bills that need to be paid, uh, but the work of the synod, the work of the whole denomination. uh, Ideally, the committees are saying again and again, it would be helpful to have the money uh, quarterly or throughout the year rather than just in one big lump sum uh, at one point in the year. We must make sure that we meet our obligations or else we're guilty of stealing from other people. We're not just stealing from God, but in fact, we're stealing from what's due to others. We give generously, cheerfully, regularly, and then we give comprehensively. Because money is not the only thing that we can steal from God, is it? Perhaps we're not guilty of stealing money from God, but our time. How much of your free time Do you give to the Lord after working, sleeping and eating? And I'm not suggesting that working, sleeping and eating are not things that we do to the Lord. Whatever we do, whether we eat, drink or sleep, we're to do it to the Lord. But how much of your time do you give in service for the Lord? Or do you keep almost all of it for yourself? What ministries are you involved in in the church? We can rob God of our concentration when we let our mind wander, when we're reading the Bible or when we come to worship. We can steal energy from God, can't we? When we use up all of our strength on our social life, on our families, ferrying our children here, there and everywhere. 
when we use up all of our energy on our work, with all this energy and, and commitment and dedication and loyalty to our job, and nothing left over when it comes to the church. We use up our strength and energy on our hobbies. Then we're just too exhausted. There's just nothing left for God. Perhaps you're out so late doing so much on a Saturday night that you come to church on the Lord's Day completely exhausted. Or perhaps you're stealing your gifts from God. He's given you all that you have and all that you are, and the talents, the gifts, the abilities, the skills that you have. He's given them to you for the good of others, for the good of your brothers and sisters in the church, first and foremost, but also to serve others in the world. And whenever we keep these things for ourselves, we're stealing from the Lord. So how should Christians give? We should give generously, we should give cheerfully, regularly, and comprehensively. Remember the verse that we thought about this morning in First Chronicles 29, 14. All things come from you. We have given you only what comes from your hand. Every penny in your bank accounts comes from from the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord, ultimately. It's not yours. You're not an owner. You're a steward. And he graciously allows us to keep the vast majority of it. How miserly and stingy it is to try to keep more for ourselves than what he has allowed us. And how foolish and how counterproductive it is. You remember the Jews of Haggai's day. They were stealing from God. They were decking out their own homes in the very style, the very architectural and interior decor style of the temple itself. They were beautifying their own homes. Their homes were the last word, while God's house was a ruin. And what was the result of that? Haggai says, you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You think you're saving money, putting it away carefully in the purse, seeing it grow and grow and grow. Actually, you're just throwing it down the drain. It's going straight through the purse uh, and onto the ground. How foolish it is to try and steal from the one who gives us everything that we have. Christians will say, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. So let's remember these things every week as we put our offering in the plate. It's slightly ironic that in our opportunity to put these things into practice tonight, although you could, of course, there is a bag, a retiring offering, and uh, there's uh, nothing to stop you putting this into practice next Lord's Day uh, or sending a gift by bank transfer. Uh, we, we can put this into practice in all kinds of ways. But let's remember these things. Every time that we put our offering into the bag, it is a duty. It is a privilege. 
and it brings us great blessing from God. So let's do it generously. Let's do it cheerfully. Let's do it regularly. And let's do it comprehensively. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge again that all things come from you. And we thank you for all the blessing that you have lavished upon us. For the many, many material possessions and all the money that you have graciously given to us. We acknowledge, O Lord, that compared to the vast majority of the people of this world, we live like kings and queens. You have given us not just our daily bread, but you have showered luxury after luxury upon us. And we pray that you would help us to be good stewards of the things that you have given to us, not to store up these things for ourselves, uh, not for our own selfish enjoyment, but we pray that we will lay all that we have at your feet, that we will seek to generously give as much as we are able, and even at times when it is needed beyond our ability. Forgive us, Lord, we pray, for a miserly and grasping attitude. Forgive us when we have lived as though this world and material things were all important. We pray that our priorities would be kingdom priorities and not the priorities of this world. Help us, Lord, to look for opportunities to give more. We thank you, Father, for those in this congregation who have been such good examples to us of this down through the years. For those whom you have blessed with much and who have sought to use that generously. And we pray that you will help each one of us to do that more and more. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.